I'm Dan Walters. And I'm Anthony Peters. This is the No Ideas Podcast. I just had a great idea. What's that, Dan? To come back for season two, Ant. Let's do it. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. This is episode eight, season two of No Ideas Podcast. We've got some great guests lined up for season two, um, starting today with Will Hudson from It's Nice That. As always, we like to talk about our journey. We uh, had an early start. It was a really foggy morning. We drove over Ditchling Beacon towards uh, Ditchling, which is where Will lives. Yeah, it was really... Did you say it was foggy? It was foggy. Really it definitely foggy. was foggy. We could barely um, see at all, could we? Yeah, and it was the first one we've recorded in the morning as well, so it was slightly different. Ant hadn't had any breakfast. I was a bit hangry. He was. And we went to a cafe that was closed. Uh, they, we could see they were in there making croissants and stuff, but they wouldn't let us in. So we had to go <laughs> through our notes in the car on yeah. the roadside. Yeah, and finally we got in uh, and got rid of his, uh, his hunger pains. <laughs> <laughs> two croissants and two coffees later um the ladies in the cafe thought we were builders and we tried politely to explain that we were in the area to record a podcast <laughs> um so we got to wills where we were also sort of offered well we were offered coffee and more flapjacks coffee. more coffee and flapjacks um homemade flapjacks homemade flapjacks which, good. which i didn't actually have and then forgot before we left to to try them and you've since been told that the the cooking, the baking's pretty good there Yeah, as apparently, well. yeah. Um, so we had an amazing chat with Will. Um, we talked about his childhood, uh, his path through uni, and the sliding doors moment of meeting Alex Beck and how it all nearly didn't happen. We also discussed what Will would be doing who wasn't in the design industry and found out the ugliest thing he loves. Yeah, and thanks to Will um, that we have the second half of this interview recorded because he noticed that and hadn't pressed record on our little device. There's a rookie error. Um, we're glad we had a pro on the show. Uh, we got a lot from this interview. We did, yeah. And uh, we hope you do too. Yeah. Enjoy the show. Our guest on today's episode is the founder of the incredibly influential media platform, It's Nice That. Alongside his business partner, Alex Beck, they oversee a number of successful media companies and their events are the highlight of the creative calendar. Anyways, printed pages, lecture in progress, nicer Tuesdays and here all have one thing in common, inspiration, positivity and sharing creativity. They've also produced an award-winning podcast, so at least there's one professional on the show today. Welcome, Will. Thank you. Do you mind telling us a bit about where you grew up and what childhood was like? Yeah, uh, so grew up in a town just north of Birmingham called St Caulfield, uh, middle of three boys. Uh, and I think, I don't know, I have kind of, I have very fond memories of growing up. I think it was, um, uh, I think it was, I was supported with the interests that I had, so quite sporty growing up, um, into art and design. Well, art predominantly. I don't think I really knew what design was until foundation, um, but just kind of just supported through those interests. Very kind of outdoorsy. Um, quite a small family. We didn't have both my parents were only children, so didn't have aunts and uncles. So it was all quite um, small and familiar. Um, yeah, I think that was that's 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 it in a condensed version. 
did you have you have siblings? Yeah, so, so two brothers, so one older, one younger, and I'll always maintain that I kind of am that kind of st- typical middle child. <laughs> my older brother got everything because it was the first time. My little brother got everything because it was the last time they'd do stuff. But I think I was quite content with middle child syndrome. Do you do you think it, it helps the temperament, like to be in the middle and to to not be the one that got everything and to not be the last one who's cherished? Um, I think I have to be very careful because I now have three boys. So, <laughs> so Axel, our middle, is definitely my favourite, and it's like I'm, I'm rooting for him. But no, I think I think my um, parents were very um, very keen to make sure that there was kind of level playing field, that it didn't really play out in that way. And I don't think it did. I think we were all massively supported um, in those interests that we showed and the things that we wanted to do. And again, I think now being a dad to three boys, it's like it's not an easy thing to do. It's like I think when you're young and you kind of you can't look much beyond your own needs and requirements, um, to actually now kind of see the bigger picture, I do think it's I do think my parents did an amazing job. Um, what did your folks do? My dad was a teacher um, uh, at Sixth Form College, and my mum was a, a chef. She was a private caterer. Oh, amazing. So, um, so food was yeah, food good at home? Always, always. <laughs> uh, no, it was great. And actually, I mean, my mum doing that job, our first, my first experience of work was going to waiter and work for her, which is, which was, which was amazing. But in the other hand, it was like, not amazing, because it was like, that's my mum. Oh, it's now not my mum, it's now my boss. And it's like, actually, <laughs> but I think the kind of, the opportunity to um, uh, earn money and, kind of have responsibility to do stuff and get orders and try and show a bit of proactivity early on was um, was always good. How old would you have been around the time of that job? Uh, when did you get national insurance? It's <laughs> that kind of uh, 14 and 14? Yeah, yeah. like, here's a here's nine digit number that, you, that now means you can earn money. I think probably um, probably about probably around 16. Amazing. I did some waiting with my mum. She used to work in an Indian restaurant when we were younger and they brought me on board to take dishes away for a while and it was so stressful for me. <laughs> I think you very quickly get a steer as to what you enjoy doing and don't enjoy doing. So yeah. after that I worked in a bar uh, and I worked as a chef and there's definitely, I definitely feel more comfortable not doing the human interaction bit, to not yeah. have to just take an order, yeah. to not have to yeah. go and deal with um, customer issues. Um, I, I find anybody that can do something time sensitive they, they're amazing to me because I couldn't <laughs> when I see bar people and I see a queue building people getting stressed like it makes me stressed see, I, I'm, I'm quite into the I quite like that um, you're thrown into it yeah. you've got to deal with it yeah. there's no there's no get out clause there's no like oh, I'll be over here it's like right let's do this let's get on um, try and work out um, system process whatever it is but kind of I love that two hours of absolute mayhem yeah. like, and also the when I used to work behind a bar, the best nights were the busy nights yeah. where time used to fly. Yeah. The most challenging ones were when you got like a Monday night shift and it's like, there are two oh. couples in here. And, and then it's... 10 people come in all at once and you... <laughs> 10 minutes before yeah. closing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, are you still open? <laughs> it's like, no, uh, maybe a quick one. So what did, did you have much art and craft stuff around you or art and design stuff when you were growing up? Um, we... So for whatever reason, I showed um, an interest in uh, art, and that was predominantly it was um, still life. Like it was drawing, arranging apples and jugs on a table, and going, "This is art." Um, I used to 
weirdly, looking back, around Christmas time, we used to have an Amiga um, computer, and there was a um, program called Scribble, which was proper rudimental word processing. But I used to make a magazine every Christmas where I'd basically copy articles out of my mum's <laughs> magazines, like Good Housekeeping or whatever was around the house. I'd basically retype them up, print them, do some drawings, and then present it to my grandparents on Christmas Day. Um, I used to design um, things like theme parks, or I think influenced by like playing Theme Hospital, mm-hmm. and then you'd do the theme kind park of world was drawn too, yeah. version. But there was always, that's where I'd kind of, that's where I'd default to. It would always be pen, paper. I'd always get excited about a new pad of paper. Or yeah. when you got a new set of pens. Or when you used to, like that bit of W.H. Smith that had a bit of letra set, a bit of um, those things that I think my mum and dad were like, I don't, wh- why? <laughs> I don't think they said like, why? No, don't be stupid. It was like, why? We're going to get you this and just as long as you're happy doing what you do. Um, but I mean, school art was do a painting. I mean, yeah. GCSE and A level, it was still kind of copy a Monet. It was, yeah. and that was art. Um, so, was there any anyone that uh, inspired you to pursue a career in art or in design? I don't think. I think. I think I, I recognise in other people when they say it was record sleeves yeah. or it was mm. stuff like that. I don't think I really. I don't think I responded to those things in the same way. I think I responded to um, getting a camera, having either buying some camera film and just getting on and doing it. And I think it was more, I I think even my dad who, um, I think will admit he doesn't have a great interest in the subject. I mean, I vividly remember we went to the Hockney exhibition at the Royal Academy a few years ago and he stood in what was obviously quite a busy room and kind of just went, uh, I think if I saw these in a charity shop, I wouldn't think <laughs> twice about them. <laughs> well, yeah, kind of see where you come from. And I think they were the ones, the ones done on his iPad that were then printed. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of like, I get that, but can we try and have a constructive conversation around why maybe they're not in a charity shop? But he would always support in taking us. To, I mean, there was the Icon Gallery in Birmingham, and there was. Um, uh, what was the other one? There was one a little bit further out, and he would happily take me there, and we would go and we'd go around. And I, I had some great time spent with my dad going around um, those galleries, but I don't, I, I don't know, I don't, I, I, to be totally honest, I don't think I really understood what graphic design yeah. was until week one of foundation, yeah. when we were given a David Carson book, and it was like this is graphic design, and on foundation, no nothing. You kind of go, cool, okay, I. I quite like graphic design. Let's try and pursue that. Um, but I don't think I can put it down to um, specific references. Did you have any influential teachers or at school or college or, or uni that really pushed you forward? Definitely uni. Um, I think everything before that, not really. I think the, like I say, art. I mean, I somehow was allowed to do uh, art, photography, design and technology, A-levels. So I spent my whole time in the art block. And I don't think the teachers really knew what to do with me. Because it, was, it wasn't like, for a lot of my friends, it was like they did art alongside business studies and history. Yeah. And art was their kind of release to go, mm. okay, I'm not being massively challenged here and I'm doing something I quite enjoy. I ended up doing, the school had photography darkrooms. So I would do my photography during my art lessons because no one else was in the darkroom. And I'd do my art during photography because 
it was just being efficient use of time yeah. and the, the resources. Um, I think foundation it was it was maybe just about being bombarded with reference of illustrators of graphic designers of of um, kind of having this world opened up. Uh, at uni there was definitely um, without a shadow of a doubt there were a load of tutors um, and peers who kind of you kind of respond to people like Hamish McGill who mm. runs Studio McGill in yeah. Brighton. I think because he was always um, he was always really constructive in criticism. We had another guy called Martin Anderson who was much more <laughs> I mean they, they just I don't know if it was a an agreed way in which they would critique stuff. Good but call, Martin was always much more this is rubbish, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> but great. I mean I responded massively to that. I think other people kind of just went what? Whereas Hamish would always kind of be much more constructive, much more kind of in the reference or advice he would give. Um, Ian Wright, um, illustrator um, at Brighton, not through doing illustration, um, but he would always, the great thing about Ian was, was he would, you'd have the conversations you'd have in it, the way in which he'd challenge your way of thinking, not through being, not through wanting to kind of challenge that, but just kind of provocative, but in an interested way. And, yeah. and still when we see it, the conversations are great because he, he kind of surprises you with reference or thought or opinion or anything. You kind of go, oh yeah, actually maybe like this isn't to be taken for granted and mm. ways of thinking about stuff. Um, but I think, I, yeah, I mean the time at Brighton was, um, was amazing. What, what years were you in Brighton? So I was in Brighton 2000, September 2004 to May <clears throat> 2007. And you, um, did you, had you been to Brighton before you moved there, before you came to uni? So I, um, Art Foundation, uh, Route B UCAS application, so you do it all quite late and it's all quite rushed. Yeah. And tutors at uh, Bourneville where I did my Art Foundation were like, don't go to St Martin's, don't go to Brighton. Uh, have you thought of Nottingham Trent? And it felt like they were being like, so 20 miles up the road, there's this place. <laughs> yeah. So I went to the Nottingham Trent open day and I was like, yep, yeah, this, is, this, this, this is cool. And um, a guy uh, who I was doing foundation with was like, we're going to get out to Brighton, do you want to come? And I was like, yeah, okay, let's go to the Brighton open day. And went out to Brighton and was like, wow, this is, this is great. This is kind of... Um, by the sea, totally different to kind of in a um, inland uh, Birmingham, uh, and then for whatever reason, I went back and it was like, right, I'll apply to Nottingham Trent. So I applied to Nottingham <laughs> Trent, and I didn't get in. And I, I think there were about fifteen of us that year who applied to go to Nottingham Trent, and I think three of us didn't get in. And having gone through that GCSE A level art foundation, like always knowing what was next to get to that point where it's like, and I remember so vividly logging on to that UCAS website circa 2003. Like we're talking proper basic internet here, but it was still the way in which I found out. And it just came up and it was like, um, was it unsuccessful? Whatever that word was. And it was like, hang on, this can't be right. It's like, hang on. (laughs) So it's like, even now, you know when you log out of online banking and log back in again to go, I'm sure they've made a mistake. And it's like, oh no, shit. This is actually, uh, <laughs> this is the deal. And I think the biggest challenge I had at that point was 
actually telling my mum and dad was being like, oh, um, I don't think I'm going to be going to uni next year. Kind of like, what the hell do I do? And they just kind of went, all right, don't worry. It's all right. Which actually, again, looking back and talking about how supportive my parents were, the fact that that was their reaction, and probably deep down they were thinking, well, hang on, what the, like, this isn't part of the plan. But they just went, don't worry, take your time, work out what you want to do. So I worked, um, went and got a job, um, uh, temping in a warehouse, earning nothing amazing, but as all my mates, so the first lot of schoolmates had all gone off to uni while I did foundation, and then a whole load of mates then went off um, to do uni from foundation, and I stayed behind. So I ended up having a year where I'd work Monday to Friday, go and see mates in uni on a Saturday, maintained kind of this portfolio and tried to work out what was maybe missing. Reapplied to uni, applied to Nottingham Trent, uh, Bath Spa and Brighton. Got uh, an offer from Bath straight away, interviewed at Nottingham Trent and got offered a place. And then was like, fine, so I'm going to Nottingham Trent. And then another mate, Rob Olson, who weirdly then was uh, editor of his master, yeah. his girlfriend at the time lived in Hove. And he was like, I was like, I've got this interview at Brighton, but I'm not sure I'm going to go because I've got this place at Nottingham Trent. And he was like, well, um, I can't remember her name. Um, she lives down in Hope. Let's go, let's go down to Brighton for the weekend. Came down to Brighton on like a beautiful spring day, like nice <laughs> and warm. Sat on the beach. Um, I, we put portfolios out and then we went and sat on the beach. Uh, then I walked back to have my interview with Hamish McGill. Um, I can't remember who else was in that interview. I vividly remember Hamish. Chatted about my work and then walked back through the lanes because you then had to, while they were interviewing everyone else before going getting work, walk back through the lanes and was like, shit, maybe I really want to come to Brighton. Like maybe, because I still think it was like, a, I'm just doing the interview, I'm just going to the motion, let's see what happens. Had a few beers on the beach and then walked back to get my work and it was kind of this kind of like, shit, actually, have I not put enough into this interview now? Have I now kind of <laughs> doubly messed up because the place I really want to go, they're now not going to offer me a place. Unfortunately, they did offer me a place and actually it almost in the way it played out it was great because it was like actually I'm now not doing it, it's not like I'm a year behind yeah. where I'm going what I'm doing I got to go right I'm going to go to Brighton I'm going to do something totally different and actually bearing in mind I met Dem who we've been together 14 years got three kids met Alex um, started a business have been running for 10 years um, uh, Hamish who interviewed me that day actually was the one that sent me the brief for It's Nice There so it definitely feels I think like loads of that stuff where you go and I think the thing that we always try and talk to um, kind of people entering industry is always this thing of like don't get too hit up on that one thing everything hinging off it it's like stuff and I think as a result of kind of my way to uni actually so crucial to that which is like I could have absolutely panicked and gone what like this is all this is all wrong and I now need to go into something totally different and just through a little bit of time and perspective it's all it's all worked out all right I just got chills literally <laughs> twice <laughs> thinking about that sliding door aspect of where things would be if you'd gone to Nottingham yeah if you'd got in straight away and then literally that's that one moment of that email yeah. or that Whatever like, I said in that interview, and they turned around and went, no way. <laughs> that's like unbelievable. That's yeah. a proper pivot point that you... Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Wow. 
<laughs> I think I need a moment. Um, um, so, so what kind of work were you doing at uni? Um, the work I was doing at uni was very, um, very safe. Uh, I can't remember if it was Alex or... It, maybe it was Martin or Hamish. There was this phrase about big man, small type. And it was always like very considered, kind of very traditional, very safe right. um, graphic design. Um, be it, which I think some of those projects, be it kind of like the um, briefs around uh, open day posters and Grisho collateral, or um, it was always very safe. It was always very kind of clean, pretty traditional. Right. Um, I think the tutors were always kind of like just. Just take a bit of a risk, run with it for a bit. It's like it's not the end of the world, and however much I tried to do that, it always came back to being quite safe. What kind of like influences did you have back then, like designers? Um, good question. I think there was definitely a point. So two thousand, what did I say? Two thousand four, two thousand seven. So internet blogs, and we'll probably get onto this, weren't kind of a big thing. Mm. So it was still uh, the monthly issue of Creative Review, Graphic Magazine, um, maybe DNA D annuals were kind of the kind of main source material. So there was a lot of uh, Spin, Made Thought, Bibliotech, BB Saunders. Um, there was a lot of those like London design studios doing really interesting work. And I definitely fell foul of looking at that work and just reappropriating it quite badly. But I think you kind of have to go through that. You have mm. to do a bit of that to work out what you're good at and what you're not good at. So they were definitely a kind of big factor. There was then um, a couple of the exhibitions on at that time. So it was a great Robert Brown John exhibition, I think at the Design Museum, who did the kind of more experimental topography and kind of projecting. I think he did those James Bond title sequences oh, okay. where it's images yeah. on top of um, women dancing. Uh, I'm trying to think of those other things, but I was very... And even now, I'm so influenced by the last thing I've read or seen. So if I've read a book, it'll be I'll just be referencing that and Me that too. way yeah. of doing stuff. So there's that um, radical candor book, and there's um, it doesn't have to be crazy at work. And literally from reading those in the last two months, loads of my reference on how I think we should be doing stuff and the things we should be adopting is like that thing. It's mm-hmm. like I kind of. I'm very guilty of that, but I think now that I'm aware of that, it's it's that much easier to kind of recognise and be like, okay, I kind of I'm going to say this, but we don't have to do it. It's like taking on good advice, though, isn't it? And and you're obviously like up for changing as the world changes. I need to get a tissue. I really I don't want my nose to run and to make you laugh or be just recoil in disgust. He's not just having a moment. (laughs) He often gets uh, yeah gets a tingle. I didn't know that story was there. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's also a slim chance. Oh, no, I don't think the shop is coming till later. It's all I just good. saw Ricardo Van Interru- Interruptions is all, it's all fine. What's that? You get goosebumps quite a lot during interviews, don't you? Well, just, 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 on, the, just on those big moments when, yes. when you know that that was a pivotal yeah. point in someone's life. It's like... Just so yeah, much so happened since that moment where yeah. you got denied. But that's why I think all of those moments, that's why I think the kind of, the whole mindfulness approach of living in the moment, enjoying the moment, I think is 
it's so much I was going to say more relevant now than previously and obviously that's bollocks because I don't know what it was to live 50 years ago but I do think so much is put on five year plans and it's like just I think the best results we've had at work is when we concentrate on like the next three months it's like if we do this and this in the next three months we're going to be in a really good place I went out and helped Anthony borrow a, a workshop in the north of Spain last at the end of last year and when we were on our way over we were there with his son Jack as well I get I need a bit of a plan and he, I was like so what's the plan then he's like we're just going to get there and we're just going to see the environment and then we're just going to like slowly the plan's going to unfold and my nervousness went through the roof but after a week of doing that I've taken on a really much more holistic approach I myself I think it's so much better because you can over plan things and plan the, the magic out of them yeah. completely um, so everyone loves a love story that point when you meet across the room and you look into <laughs> each other's eyes can you tell us uh, about when you first met Alex can you remember the moment <laughs> probably not um, so we I think we were lucky in that Brighton uh, the graphic design course when we were doing it was about 30 people okay. 30 people doing graphic design 30 people doing illustration so you got to meet everyone quite quickly and you got a bit of a steer on who everyone was and we were definitely we were definitely friends before before becoming business partners. Um, it was definitely friends, and I think we even tried to work a couple of times before, and it didn't for whatever reason it didn't really yeah. work. And I think sometimes you can just kind of force those things through a desire more to work with someone as opposed to work on the right thing yeah. with someone. Okay. Were you hanging out together from yeah. the early years in, in uni? Yeah, and it was, again, it was it was so much more um, just a really good mate. He was like, yeah. he was he was just one of those people that we, um, that I got on with very well, very quickly, he lived together for two years uh, with another guy called Angus who studied law, who was also brilliant because he kind of, whenever we chat about art design, Angus would just be like, shut up. <laughs> um, so it, was kind of, it was a good kind of... Um, balance um of that but i think i think it, i think we again in a class of 30 i think because everyone's got studio space so everyone's in quite a lot i think you naturally get quite competitive yeah and i think that's really healthy i think to have a within your peer group that you try and um outperform or yeah. answer that brief a bit better or get that praise off a tutor and i think we naturally Worked our way up into the top, however many, five, six people within that peer group. So there's always that kind of competitive element um, that was, I think, perfectly healthy. It makes everyone better, I think, when you compete. Yeah. I mean, as long as there are some people that won't compete. And if it's competing just because you know you can do more, and then you see what someone else does, and you're like, holy shit, like, look at that. And then you're like, I've got to try and up my game. I think it makes everyone... 100%. Yeah. And I think I think year groups are better for it. I think we identified it in the year above us where there were, again, five or six really good... Much more kind of, um, again, that kind of... Um, I was going to say traditional graphic design, but maybe that's not quite right. But they were just very good graphic design, whereas the year below us, there were some really good um, designers, but I think they strayed more into the illustration okay. territory. Whereas I think we were kind of in this kind of, kind of looking at both those year groups, I don't think we necessarily had the kind of out and out graphic designers. And I think we actually maybe lacked a little bit in having kind of more of that competitive yeah. edge. 
Um, so can you tell us about the early days of It's Nice Out and like how it originated? So it must have been start of 2007. We got this brief which was um, set by Hamish and it was put something in the public domain to make people feel better about themselves. And we had previously, so the kind of the backstory to It's Nice That very quickly is Alex and I ran this project called If You Could, which is if you could do anything tomorrow, what would it be? And it was in our second year, we got nominated as course reps. And traditionally, you'd go and um, host a party on the seafront, you'd charge everyone two or three quid to get in, and um, gradually you'd, you'd make a bit of money to put on a degree show and, and print a catalogue at the end of your third year. And we got nominated in as course rep, and we said there must be a, there must be a way of doing something a little bit close to the course. And sat around our kitchen table and when maybe we could ask, maybe we could pose a question to a load of illustrators and designers we liked, get responses and do a, a zine. I think Alex had done a few printed zines that he'd sold in Brighton and a few places in London. So there was kind of the few kind of early signs that it wasn't impossible. Emailed a few people uh, off Alex's Hotmail account and yeah. amazingly got responses. I remember we went on a night out got in and there was an email from David Trigley oh, in Alex's amazing. inbox. And I think it was almost like, we just asked if he'd be up for this thing and we got a response straight away. It wasn't like, yeah, I'll do it. And then we had to chase. It was literally like, here's something, there you go. And it was like, wow, that's kind of nuts. But I think the way in which we approached these people was, I think a lot of them could see where we were coming from, which is we've been tasked with raising this money. Um, we're going to try and do something a bit different. Uh, would you help? And we, we it, I think it helped that we asked a load of people that were ex-Brighton. Yeah. So the Peep Show guys, I think um, a number of them submitted stuff, whether it be first-hand or whether or not it be something that they had existing but okay. fit the brief. Ended up with kind of a decent amount of names that we were like, we can't just print a photocopied zine here and try and sell it. So we <laughs> managed to convince everyone on the year that we would take all the money that we'd raised to that point to print something to then go and sell and make loads of money. And they said yes. And we did the first half. We went and printed that nice thing and we went and met printers and said what we were trying to do. They helped us. We ended up meeting packaging people and ended up buying just straightforward packaging and then just a sticker to cut costs. And we would do a lot of this work ourselves. So we, I think we worked out we saved ourselves about 150 quid from the printer if they just delivered boxes of each design. Amazing. And we would package up a thousand of these things because that, that wouldn't take too long, surely. <laughs> and actually, I'd have paid 150 quid to just have them done. Um, I also managed to break my finger playing rugby around this time. Eek. So I think I managed to offload a bit of the workload to Alex. <laughs> Ended up getting this thing, building a website, um, building a MySpace page, which back then was the way in which you got the word yeah, out about stuff. Yeah, we are going to ask about MySpace actually in a bit. Um, and then went up to some, Alex kind of put copies in his backpack, went up to London for the day, took it into places like uh, Beyond the Valley, um, all those other, a lot of places that don't exist now, and said, look, we've done this thing. And not really knowing how it works, like when you give someone something that they sell, what do they take from it? And <laughs> yeah. it kind of worked out that I think it was like 50-50, um, and kind of after all of this work I reckon we earned the same amount of money as doing one party <laughs> uh, with a whole load more work but learn a huge man yeah. and just had that confidence and I tell you the, the thing that I think it hammered home more than anything was being second year students all these people whose work we looked at and admired are all just normal people absolutely in a studio doing some work and actually to be perfectly polite 
and with a request and explaining what it is you're trying to do, people are actually quite responsive yeah, yeah, and absolutely. they're not these kind of big old unattainable figures. And I think off the back of that, when this brief came through, there was this thing of like, well, look, there's, we're already talking to a few of these people. Like Anthony Burrell had done yeah. those post postcards and he was like, oh, if you want to come down and see me in Rye, because I think we used it as like, a, well, could we come and say hello? Yeah. And he was like, yeah, why not? And he came and picked us up in his car, drove us back to his house playing acid. We, uh, we had the similar experience yeah. we went to interview. It was <laughs> like, brilliant. It, which, when you've exchanged emails with someone and they, that's your first experience of them, but it was absolutely lovely, um, sat in his studio, chatted for a bit, and, and I think, again, it just, it was another layer to that, like, these are just normal people. Yeah. Um, and when that brief came through, it's nice that I think there was just this opportunity to go, look, maybe there's a way of um, continuing that almost excuse to get in touch with people. Yeah. But I have we let you work. Um, and it was, it's nice that it was so simple. Yeah. It was an image. The headline was the person's name. It had a category as to the kind of work they did. And it was one or two sentences. And it was a way, predominantly of me, just documenting the people whose work I really liked. And because in 2007, uh, buying a web domain was 20 quid, hosting for a year for a website that no one's looking at was maybe 100 <laughs> quid, to by chance have a chat with um, Jez Burroughs, who was in the year below, who was building a few websites, and I had a few Photoshop um, documents, and I was like, trying to, like, what do you reckon? Is this, possibly, is this hard to build? And he looked at it and went, no, I reckon I could do that. And I reckon using this thing that I've just used on something is how we'd host it and how it would be built. And I think quite quickly, within a week, two weeks, he came back with this working prototype. And because it existed, because <laughs> it was online, it was almost easier to just use it and populate it and show a real thing as opposed to go, here's a hypothetical layout and this yeah. is what it would be. And I think it was, it was amazingly straightforward but the the ambition was to answer a brief and, and the fact it built something that was quite useful for me to document all this stuff anyway yeah. was an absolute blessing in disguise but because it existed because it was out there it gathered momentum quite quickly it um there were, the the sites i remember there was a site called news today which i think then became qbn and they had a kind of curated feed and a uh, anyone that was part of this community could add stuff to a, a text-only feed. And a designer out in New York who we'd met um, or spoken to over email, he just posted it in the kind of the, the more curated list of, of contributors. And it, it was literally like, it's nice that it is with a link. <laughs> and from there, it just kind of grew momentum. And, and we, always, we always made sure there was new stuff up there. So right from day one, I think it was four articles. It was two of them, and I say articles. It was four <laughs> images, maybe 20 words per article. Um, and two went up at 8 a.m., two went up at midday, and you could auto do it so you didn't have to be there. Nice, so you it. set them all up to go off but at But straight times. away, there was, there was a reason to keep coming back. And I think if it wasn't for that, it would have just petered out. It would have. But because it was 2007, third year student looking at loads of stuff anyway it was it wasn't hard yeah it wasn't like oh what am I going to mm. post and write about it's literally that thing of going amazing I've just found this photographer and here it is and I've just found this and it was it was just that enthusiasm but because it was being populated every day that audience kept coming back and I always talk about 2007 was such a 
that community of people doing similar things, it was such a kind of um, almost like camaraderie. It was like yeah. people would happily credit. So when we'd posted a photographer and someone on another site had been like, this is great, they'd put, just saw this on It's Nice That, linking through to It's Nice That. And therefore, you, you, you brought new readers through the yeah. whole time. And actually, I think we grew that audience quite quickly. I think we got to about 80,000 people a month by about the end of year one. There was nothing else on the internet, though, either. I yeah. mean, I know that sounds like an old man conversation <laughs> back in the day, but yeah. you know, literally, there was nothing like that on the internet. No. And also, it was right on the, the precipice of... Um, Twitter was only just in its infancy, so I think it started to take off. It was about 2008. The I'm first not, iPhone not was about sure. 2008. Yeah, was, was it later? I think. Well, certainly the point at which it seemed to hit mainstream, I think, was was much later. We relied on MySpace. Yeah, those first mm. design pages of it's nice that it is a MySpace link, and we used to the uni had the best uh, internet connection, yeah. and we used to go in. There was a little room off our studio with two desktop Macs in, and we would spend hours just adding people on MySpace because that's how that's, you grew a kind of awareness. Yeah, we we like, run a, a record label back in the mid-noughties and we were just getting people like Hot Chip and Max Tundra and people like that just to come and DJ at our Saturday nights like every quarter just by emailing them directly, messaging them via MySpace. I mean, it did look awful by the end. Terrible, but but it was and amazing picking, back picking in the day. Picking your top 12 friends. Yeah. It was like, yeah, that was a thing. Yeah. <laughs> and people used to get all around that. You that that and Flickr friends. were the two things yeah. that I used. And in our lunch breaks, I remember at, at the art group, everybody was just on like, it's nice out. We were looking at the Peep Show website, which was like an early yeah. great mm. website. Flash, wasn't it? It was yeah. so I think flash. It was flash it, yeah. And a little um, viewfinder, the... And I think you switched through and then you could click on the images. That's right. and it, was so, it took so long to load. We actually looked on the Wayback Machine at some of the early posts for It's Nice That in 2007. I mean, it still has the blue logo with just It's Nice yeah. That written across the middle. And um, absolutely amazing. I think you've got Emily Forgot on there. You've got, there's loads of people yeah. that are still sort of, they're still going strong that have grown alongside you yeah. guys. What's funny is that whenever um, we chat about people we might commission for, agency jobs Alex and I still recognise that our reference is like 2007 to 2012 maybe it's like we, we rely on all the stuff currently to bring that reference through which is like yeah. here's someone that graduated two years ago and we're still like hello Von maybe we should <laughs> yeah. um, but it's um, it was great and it was it was so down to that kind of like here it is and it was it was the tone I mean with something called it's nice that it's very difficult to be kind of all kind of critique. Yeah. That wasn't mm, us. That it wasn't was super like us. positive. It yeah. was just a yeah. here. Here is something that we think is great. It's if you want to go and see more of it, there's a link. But it's it was never, and I don't think it ever will be a kind of a site for kind of um, negative opinion. Yeah, or like overly wordy dissemination of things. Yeah. You you could you do that in other places, but it's nice that it's almost like a direct connection between discovering something and sharing it with everyone. If you're enjoying the show, why not vote for us in the Listener Choice Awards at BritishPodcastAwards.com. Voting takes place from the 4th of March. More details can be found on our website and Instagram. So how, how do you think the uh, timing of when you started helped the success? 
without a shadow of a doubt, it was it was instrumental. I, I think the, and I think we found it with things like Lecture in Progress. Starting something now is you're just you're you're up against so many other people doing other things. Mm. You're vying for their attention. I think the the speed that kind of just fundamentally like the, the speed of an internet connection just means we expect stuff super quick and it's there and it's it's now I mean 2007 um, it was predominantly uh, image text based content and you had to kind of be mindful of that um, size of, of pages that you're building in, in terms of load times and stuff like that but now you're, you're going up against people producing great video and, yeah. and loads of it and um, to quite good production values off people just doing it themselves you're up against audio like podcasts and, and everything else there it's like you're you're just trying to find that opportunity to, to build a readership and engagement 2007 like you said it's there, there wasn't loads of stuff. Yeah. It was like I think there were four or five design blogs doing a similar thing. I think the great thing was out of all of those um, design blogs, none were the creative reviews or the graphics mm. or those yeah. people that still had a really viable print publication model. It wasn't like you could just go and check creative review every day or check yeah. graphic magazine every day or it was so therefore you were kind of. I wouldn't necessarily say getting ahead, but you were just engaging with that audience in a very different way. And I think because we were online first and foremost, it made it made it so easy to just work out what our focus was. It wasn't like we were trying to be um, our attention was being kind of put over to an online. It wasn't like we had this established print yeah. magazine underway. That was your medium, really, yeah. wasn't it? Whereas a lot of those other the a lot of the print media that existed at the time took a while to catch up, yeah. if I'm being honest. But even things like growing social media followings, it's like we... So they've taken time, but in, I think our Instagram following now is like 600,000, but that's grown so organically, but there was a point which it was like, we have to get on this, otherwise, again, you're, you're then just up against everyone else trying to build those, mm. those readerships um, and followings. Facebook again. We for whatever reason we just happened to to get that page started quite quickly, um, and even I, I mean that's rubbish saying quite quickly. We're probably very late with it. Probably a lot of other people doing it, and I think that's kind of well, it's nice that especially I think that's the motivation for making sure we're on top of the right things because I think you can become complacent in going oh we've got this and we've got that sorted, and actually I think we have to keep challenging ourselves that actually there's no reason why the next it's nice that won't be started by some students this year at uni who go, this is the way we're going to go and talk to that audience. And I think we just have to be, we have to be aware of um, those things. We've talked about video and how we pursue video, but it's, it is very difficult within our current um, kind of setup with the people that we employ and the budgets we have. But if there comes a point where it's like, we have to do video, like everyone else is doing video in a way that means that we could be doing it. We will have to, and I think we are looking at it more and more to just make sure that we um, we put the right resource behind it, and we feel like it's going to do what it needs to do for us. But we, I mean, there have been times where that has happened. We had a print editor leave, and we hired a social media manager off the back of that. We didn't go. We need another print editor. We said, look, it's changing a bit here, and actually, we need someone focused on doing that job. And I think that's what we always try and do when, whenever someone within that team leaves is really challenge the is that the role we need yeah. is that the person we need That's or 
is there somewhere else that we can put mm. that resource? You evolve the, the needs of the business. I think you have to. I think you have to. Um, we were talking a second ago about the circular logo, the original oh, yes. one with the... Who created the the current logo, well, the one that should be the your nice logo face. forever? It's incredible. The nice face it was designed by some guys in Philadelphia called Print Liberation. Okay. And for our first ever magazine, so we... So 2007 was when it launched, and then we left uni that summer, and then we both went and got proper jobs, in inverted commas, for 12 months. Then Alex and I started working together in the January of 2009. At that point, we kind of went, we think there's an opportunity to, to do a print magazine. I think as two graphic design graduates, we kind of went, we kind of want to create something yeah. physical and tangible. Um, and we, I think we'd featured print liberation um, previously and we got in touch and basically said, look, could you just respond to the theme of nice? And they did. And that's what they came back with. Well, how did you feel when that came back? I think at the time it was like this is cool. Yeah. Go well on a t-shirt. I think yeah. we did some t-shirts. And I what was great about that is they were clued up. They sent through a contract which was like it can be used here for this length of time. And then we started using it a bit more. And we kind of forgot about that contract. <laughs> and then probably about three or four years ago it kind of got flagged because someone someone had said, Oh, you should use it for your social media advertise we should use it for our social media advertise I think we got in touch we definitely had exchange where it was like can we use it here can we use it there and it was all very friendly and it, and that infers it suddenly goes sour and it doesn't at all they basically, <laughs> they basically just went look it's clearly becoming a much more prominent part of your branding could we chat about some usage and it was like yeah of course and actually it is this valuable thing so we also said look could we kind of how much to buy it out and they sent this email back with this figure and we kind of went, ah, oh, shit, we don't... <laughs> it's not the kind of money that we have lying around. And then we we agreed a usage for a couple of years and then it basically got to the point where it was like, we need, to, we need to either move away from it and go and commission that next thing or we just need to go, yes, we'll pay you for that thing. Yeah. So we, maybe about two years ago, uh, we paid them and we just said, yeah, look, do you know what it is? It is kind of integral. It's iconic, I think. To who we are. Mm. In, in the, it's one of those iconic logos of the, of the you know, digital age. Yeah. I think it's, it makes me smile every time I see it. It is brilliant. It, is, um, it, it does just personify kind of what we're about and who we are. And, and it's good that it works for both Square <laughs> and Circular <laughs> yeah, Advertise, yeah. which is uh, <laughs> a challenge nowadays. You were mentioning the first It's Nice That magazine a second ago. Indie, like this, as well as the web, indie magazines were utterly in their infancy then as well. I mean, I think there were there were you guys, there was Anorak, there was Nobrow, maybe Okido was starting. The nice magazines, nice indie magazines weren't really a big thing in the UK. Now you've got shops like Magazine in Brighton that have so many titles and people seem to be really buying into it. What made you decide to start a physical publishing project then? Was so we... It's nice that at that point, I think it was around 100,000 people a month, and I think we had a very small amount of advertising on the site, which brought through, I mean, probably then, it was probably £1,000, £1,500 a month, which back then was probably paid one of our wages. Like, that was actually, in terms of guaranteed cash flow, super useful. But I think we, I mean, the topic of paywalls then probably was non-existent. I still don't think it's nice that we'll ever go behind a paywall. I think it's there about... Um, 
it's it's about the accessibility and I think we might look to monetize online in different ways but I don't think we'll ever do a kind of blanket paywall what we saw the opportunity with doing a magazine was was you walk into a, a magazine shop or a, a news agents and if you want to leave with the stuff you've got to pay for it so we saw it as a very mm. straightforward um, business proposition which was if we can create something that um, our readers might want to buy we can make a bit of money and put it back into what we're doing and we um we chat to a great printer a guy called roy at push and we got him into the studio which was um on the top floor of a studio in east london got him to walk up all these stairs sat him down on this sofa in this absolute mess of a studio and kind of sold him what we were trying to do and then kind of ended it by going, we obviously don't have that much money. So <laughs> how do we kind of deal with that? And he was like, it's fine. I, I get what you're doing. I, I, I like your enthusiasm. And we basically moved the terms of payment. So he just gave us a little bit longer to pay. And then the other thing that we did was that we said, let's put it on a six-week pre-order, knowing that it needed to be on press for about a month. And actually, if in the first two weeks, 10 people buy this thing, we might just remove it, email 10 people and go, hey, you know that magazine you thought we were going to do? We're, we're not doing that anymore. Okay. But fortunately, the response from that readership was super positive yeah. and we got loads of pre-orders. And I think probably more so from just intrigue to go, well, I like what they do online. Let's yeah. see what they do in print. And, and, and managed to go from there. And I think for the first few issues, we always put quite a long pre-order on to just cover ourselves if no one bought it we wouldn't commit to maybe a I'm trying to think maybe it's like a five grand print cost okay. which back then i mean without pre-orders of yeah. roughly the same amount of money we just wouldn't be able to do um never had advertising in it for uh three or four years it was just here's this indie print thing because i don't think we knew how to sell advertising and we barely knew how to i think go people responded though people. to that though it felt like it was you know because also YouTube didn't have ads on it, and, and then you had this magazine that was really pure. So I have all of the It's Nice ads, except number one. And back in <laughs> about 2010, maybe 2012, my wife emailed the office to see, and you guys were like, we don't even have one at that point. Yeah. Um, I mean, I hate that we don't have one. <laughs> well, but I know that in storage somewhere there'll be a box of 25. Yeah. When we find that box, you can have one. Yeah, absolutely no we've, I've always been a bit of a stitcher on the archiving, and Alex has always just been like, why? It doesn't matter. And it's like, so now, and on the shelf over there, I've got all its nice stats. Yeah. And I have to remind myself, because it is like, if I don't get them, mm. if I don't put them on my bookshelf yeah. now, in six months, and there are, there's, there's an issue of printed pages, maybe like the the fifth issue which we definitely don't have any in the studio because they all got sent out and then we kind of went have we got any other <laughs> like, no they've all gone so it was like okay fine amazing um, but it was it was a phenomenon at that point there was nothing like it everybody seemed to be talking about it everyone seemed to have a copy of it's nice that how many did you do of each of those first four or five i think the first issue we maybe did i think we maybe only did about 1500 okay I think the second issue we got to about four thousand, and then we got to about five six thousand, and it's kind of stayed the same ever since. Um, we we always tried to incentivize buying the print thing, so I think it was the it was the second or third issue, maybe the second issue we had a Rob Ryan print, so we got to know Rob and we said, look, would you be up for doing a print? And he very kindly agreed to it, and. 
I joke that I think more people bought a Rob Ryan print for a tenner and got a free magazine <laughs> than bought the second issue of It's Nice That and got a free Rob Ryan print. It was, I think we always tried to kind of see ways of incentivising that stuff. I've still um, got the James Jarvis one in my hall. Anthony's got it in his studio. Has it? Yeah, in the, well, it's in, in the bathroom now. <laughs> but it, it's framed. And uh, the Para one as well. The yeah, that, that was, was super, amazing. Yeah. So I think that was issue three um and I, I i do i do think that again we i was going to say we owe so much of what we've built and where we are to those creators but it, it's so true it's like even today it's no one comes to it's nice that if there aren't great illustrators designers yeah. photographers and um, doing great work that we get to talk about it is such a um we're so reliant on that and i think where where those people have gone above and beyond when we've asked them to do stuff when we did the first few conferences and we didn't know what we were doing and people said, yeah, I'll come and talk. I'll come and do that for 20, 25 minutes. Um, it's amazing. And it just gives you that confidence boost to go, oh, okay, well, they're up for talking and speaking at it. People are up for coming down, spending a bit of money to come and spend the day or an evening with us. And you kind of just go, how can we make this a bit better? How can we keep this going? And I think Nice Tuesdays, well, here was a great example of that because here in the six years it ran, did not change. Same venue, same audience, same kind of uh, schedule to the day, and it just worked. And Nicer Tuesdays has kind of gone from being 100 people in a photography studio um, through to now being 450, 500 people Amazing. at Oval Space. Um, and it is, it's, it, I, I'm so um, grateful to all those people that, um, that come and, and do stuff for us. And it's great now, I should say, because I'm kind of hearing myself say that. There's a lot more payment now for speakers on yeah. Tuesdays or, or contributors and, and all that stuff. But there was definitely a big point early on where we did rely on people who were just up for coming in and doing something. Passion's infectious, I think. And people can mm. sense that you're, you have an earnest intention. They're up for doing everything yeah. and anything. Um, and, you, and it's good that you've evolved with the way that you do it and the payment and things like that, because you've evolved in general from the beginning to now. It's it's it's, good it's turning to hear that. It's, it's turning that hobby into a business. Yeah, there's definitely a point which you have to kind of go, right? Are we all in? Are we? Are we? Is this the plan? As opposed to just going, it could have stayed as an evening weekend thing, um, but I think we both had the desire to just kind of go for it. Amazing. Did you have much of a plan in the early days, or was it? No. <laughs> Do we have much of a plan now? Um, no. I think early on it was always make a pound right it was just if we can pay ourselves and we i mean alex and i left our jobs in summer of 2008 so right there, and i freely admit if i hadn't handed my notes in on that um morning in march i'd have been made redundant two months later mm. um but i think through starting something in a recession when we just had to pay our rent and you pay your rent bit of food and drink it's not like and I say this now, like we don't have this lavish lifestyle that we're trying to uphold. It was like, it was just getting through. And actually, I think early on, you only need a bit of work here and there. You only need to just kind of um, work hard, um, put the hours in, and you kind of, you, you tend to get the reward. Um, but I think through doing that, we, we just kind of took it step by step. And I think we... There's a danger it can sound a little bit blasé of like, oh, there was no plan. It was always a kind of like, we believe if we can get to this point, then we'll know what mm, to do. We've yeah. had some amazing help over the years. Alex's dad has been a constant kind of source of um, 
uh, he does a great job of just facilitating conversations around what if you did this or how are you going to get there yeah. or he, he comes from a much more kind of business background which has nothing to do with art and design which is brilliant because he never really wants to talk about the art yeah. design yeah. Ever. it's always like well are you, and I remember early on it was like well how long are you going to be able to do it just the two of you and you kind of go I, I don't know like, what do you mean <laughs> it's like well at some stage and we were doing long hours nothing ridiculous we'd always start early um, and finish kind of early evening but he was like well you're going to need more people because then you can do more stuff and it was like okay yeah so we had to think about that <laughs> and then things like he, he just he'd kind of he would never tell us what to do which I think has been amazing. Yeah. But he would always, he would always open our eyes to, to ways in which we can do stuff. Things like training. It was like we both left a job after a year. It's like we were never getting any, uh, any, we weren't benefiting from kind of senior people within organisations to show us how to do stuff. Mm. And he kind of said like, well, how are you going to get there? And again, it just kind of goes, well, yeah, really good point. And we're now trying to run a business, not just do kind of design um, jobs. So it was just it was just opening our eyes to things that existed and where necessary, either a few introductions or um, examples of people that do stuff. And we definitely there are definitely things in our business that we have as a as a result of those conversations. Amazing. Well, they sort of we do both go over to Alex's then or no 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 we've I don't think we've ever had one of those meetings at Alex's house. Um, Jeff Alex's dad would always he will always come to London. Oh and okay. Early on we would go for lunch and it would just be a kind of it's always relatively informal. But he's always, I mean, there are just those, the growing pains of growing a business. He's, he's been there, he's worked stuff through, he's got that experience that through an informal conversation, you can get some quite formal stuff. Yeah. So early on, it was always about turnover. It was like, just get paid for doing what you do. Don't worry too much about profit. Just make sure people are prepared to pay you for what you do. Once you've got that going, then you can start looking yeah. at profit mm. margin and work yeah, yeah. out how you can either be more efficient or not. Every business that grows will have personnel issues. You will have some people that come into your business that you've interviewed and think are great. And then over time you go, this isn't working. And you have to address that. And he's been great to kind of just get a perspective on that. Um, things like HR support. We definitely have now as a result. And there's definitely points <laughs> where we kind of go, hey, that chat we had six months ago. I think we're now, like, we're now understanding why we, why we had that chat. Um, but not just him, I think we've been lucky in that we've met people like Paul Smith, mm. who again, I think when you talk about someone who just has an infectious passion yeah. for what they do, it's, he, I, th I can't remember how he phrased it, but he basically said like, he's, he's interested in interested people. And it's Amazing. like, and that's, and you can tell that when you go in and you get an hour with him, you, you just chat about stuff that's going on and he'll be like, have you seen this photographer? And we'll be like, have you seen this, this design thing or that and it's there's just this kind of really lovely not like one-upmanship but just no. a back and forth Proper of like, sharing. have you seen this or what yeah. do you think of that mm. or I remember just after the design museum launched we got chatting about it and I was kind of like I'm, I'm not sure and he just kind of went give it time it's like you're not supposed to love this thing after the first one it's yeah. like give it um, give it a little bit of time and actually sure enough after what, probably 18 months, two years now, it's like, yeah, actually it feels a bit more bedded in. It feels like they've worked out a bit more of where stuff happens and um, and what goes where. But um, on that plan thing, I think one of the things that has been kind of 
fundamental to our growth since we've started building employees is every year we run a AGM where we get everyone in the business is it's kind of one of the few days that you're not allowed to take off on holiday because we, we do consider it really important everyone gets to do three minutes on their highlights from the last year and it's amazing because the stuff that Alex and I either take for granted or just completely forgotten and actually it means loads to, to people at different um, levels within the business and then we set that roadmap for the next 12 months and we get um, now the way in which it's set up the leads in each of the business are kind of responsible for putting it together in conversation with us but we get to very much go this is where we're heading this is what we want to do and actually, if we're going to get there, the next 12 months is about this. And we put very clear, visible targets on what we believe we need to do. And that's what we work towards. And actually, as a, being able to report on them every three months as a kind of state of the nation, it gives people the opportunity to go, okay, we're, we're underperforming, or underperforming is probably not the right way of putting it. We're below where we want to be, or we're above. Yeah. And it kind of it just gets to focus the mind a bit and I think in terms of that planning yes we've got a very loose idea as to what the next five ten years looks yeah. like ask us what the next 12 months looks like yes I can tell you exactly what we need to do what the focus is and that planning has allowed us to pause some stuff so here that we run for six years as a really um, well subscribed well attended profitable um, good thing we got to go it's it's nicer Tuesdays has has grown and we're now running these two big things and actually it doesn't seem like the best use of our time so yeah. let's lose one of them which is it going to be and here which is a one which was a one day conference the amount of pressure on those guys mm. to deliver that one day you've got people flying in from all around the world um, everything has to be right for one day huge amount of pressure nicer Tuesdays the team taking their stride right it's four speakers who are we going to have what's the balance what's the mix um, what's that running order? We know the venue, we know the AV, you know all that stuff, and it's just like it's a it's a it's an enjoyable yeah. day. Whereas yeah. here we used to do dinner afterwards, and it would probably be half an hour into that dinner that you'd suddenly feel the weight, yeah. of <laughs> kind of pressure come off people, and it was like, and that's been a great thing to just go, yeah, we we're not, and to to be able to explain it as well to everyone working the business, so it's not like you hear um things going on yeah, it's like, actually we just get to address it we just get to go look this is what we're thinking and i think more often than not and again we've learned this through through doing it you will get to a point where you make a mistake and you just go and announce something and people go what hang on this yeah. was this either this was my thing or and actually to be able to have those conversations but then be able to clarify and go this is what we're doing this is why we're thinking it um this is how we're going to measure it let's go that transparency, I think, is everything. Transparency with the team allows them to see where the business is growing. You don't get that that griping or where people start to talk amongst themselves and rumours grow. And also, I love the fact that you put, can pause things. And I'm guessing that you take people... The business is quite fluid, where you've got skill sets that can then be moved around for different projects you're looking at, where you pause one thing and, and then focus on another. It's There was definitely a point where it was much more fluid. And then I think actually, and it's interesting now, some people definitely on the agency, when you when they're asked who they work for, they'll go, oh, it's nice there. And they're agency <laughs> anyways. And it's like, I think people, there's an affinity with it's nice there. So I think people know. Yeah. I think from uh, resourcing, scoping, all of those things, it's an absolute nightmare when people are totally fluid across everything. Yeah. And I think one of, the, one of those growing pains was when, very early on, when there were probably five of us, everyone was writing for the site everyone was doing a bit of the magazine they were doing a bit of the agency work they were doing a bit of this and we kind of went this this isn't sustainable 
it's like we need to we need to try and identify like this is what you're really good at and this is where we see you um making sure that they understood that it wasn't just like a, right here you go here's your job title yeah. here's your job description um and there was a point where there were a few peri- people that worked across a few of those companies but now even from like a PAYE point of view people have very specific job yeah. roles I think the the amazing thing about the fluidity is that kind of hive mind so if we're working on a a commercial brief on the agency and it requires some awareness of um, illustrators from a specific location and style you get 30 people now feeding into those conversations similarly on it's nice that it's 30 people that are seeing stuff and looking at stuff and putting stuff in Slack channels or emailing through going, met this person last week, I think that works amazing, what about this, what about that? Mm. Um, I think that kind of fluidity and hive mind and, yeah. and being able to help out is is something that has just happened. We never, like, we could never take the credit for going, oh, this is this big plan, we're going to run yeah. this thing that has, it's like, no, not at all. It just happens that that's, that's the way it's worked out. I guess that's the thing about good hiring as well and getting the right people or passionate people. Yeah, over time, I think we've got better <laughs> hiring. I think we've been lucky that we've worked with some absolutely amazing people over the years. Um, really Today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Buy Some Beer. If you're in the Brighton area, then why not visit their shop in East Street, the hideout in the lanes or the tap room in Hove. Follow them on Instagram at Buy Some Beer. They're full of ideas and it's great to have their support on the show. Let's all be more bison. Funeral. <laughs> that was lucky. Um, so he's a pro. You said he was. I know. <laughs> do, you, do you feel that artists in the digital age get enough time to develop their work? It must be hard to find a, a permanent place in culture when there's so much stuff being made and shared. Oh, that is a that is a big question, isn't it? I think, I think to be totally honest with you, I don't think I've got a good enough reference point of pre-digital age and developing work. I see. So I think maybe in the digital age, it's played out that much more clearly. So I think maybe pre, um, and Instagram for whatever reason seems to be the big one. Yeah. That, that has real traction with illustrators, especially but photographers, designers um, as well. But where you can, that, that kind of archive is so visible. And I think before where everything was either um, printed and portfolios and books that you were much more in control of an order in which people would see stuff um, when presenting your work to try and win work, obviously there was the work that you'd done that existed out in the world. But I think it's, um, I think undoubtedly there is a change. Um, and I think there's a role of either tutors at university or your kind of peer group as you graduate and if you happen to be represented and I think it's about seeking that advice and kind of giving yourself time to develop that style but I also think it's not a I don't think there is a a step-by-step guide to reaching that end point I think some people land on a style much sooner than others Uh, I think for whatever reason, some work resonates with art directors at certain points that it feels like they are everywhere and getting commissioned left, right and centre. Um, and I think there is obviously the influence of being able to see everyone else's work. Right? Yeah. So I think yeah. when, I, when I talk about being at uni and relying on graphic magazine, creative review, 
that was a limited pool of reference. The idea now of coming through where you can look at everything and um, I'm as guilty as anyone as being influenced by um, by stuff. So I, I think there is that kind of challenge. I think it's about trying to either reassure young creatives as they as they kind of start their careers that you're allowed time to work that yeah. stuff out and develop that style. I think the challenge is obviously maintaining a, a, a regular enough amount of work that allows you to kind mm. of stay in the game um, while you go through that. I have met a few organisations that recently will hire off the back of somebody's Instagram account. Yeah. It's amazing. As a portfolio, showing work in progress, showing what you're interested in. It's almost like a portfolio in itself. You don't really have to do anything else. Yeah, and some of the some of the followers or, or numbers of followers that young creators have got coming out of uni is, is staggering. It's it's absolutely incredible. But I think kind of fair play to them in yeah. exactly the same way. Mm. It's nice that grew this audience quite quickly through fulfilling a, a need. I think it's I think it should be seen as a positive. And I think um, it's nice that I've shared stuff globally as well. That prior to that, people had their you know the magazines had a monopoly on what was shared what they thought was good would go through this mm-hmm. and now people are able to share stuff from all over the world so i read a book by um chuck Klosterman called what if we're wrong and in it he talks about he's working with people futurologists and people like david byrne and stuff like this and they're looking at the now but from 20 years as though they're looking retrospectively and he talks in it very specifically about the fact that a lot of our ideas about the greatest authors the greatest records are very much from a a Western-centric point of view, and that as the world opens up, more people from like the, from South America's or the Americas or India or anywhere else in the world, the greatest author in the world might yet not exist, yeah, and we might find, you know, that that person that, that manuscript might already be somewhere, like with Herman Melville's um, Moby Dick, which wasn't even you know lauded until twenty years after his death. So I love that idea. Maybe maybe with it's nice that that you're pulling these things to the foreground from lots of different pockets in the world and sharing a more global perspective. And I'm not sure it homogenizes things. I think it makes people aware of different influences. I think it can only be a good thing. I I, I couldn't agree more. I think the the idea that you can be influenced if you're in um, the centre of London or a small village in South America, the fact that the internet kind of democratizes the accessibility to that information i think always the the thing the, the argument that goes hand in hand with that is the the where influence becomes copying yeah. and, and it's kind of it's not a good thing i think the the thing that i think often gets lost about it's nice that which i'm always keen to kind of mention is the best bit of doing it's nice that is when people get commissioned off the back of being featured yeah. like it suddenly puts their work in front of someone that can commission and pay for illustration photography film whatever it is and and that's the result of it yeah. i think alex often talks about this this frustration that he sometimes has where people talk about their ambition is to get on it's nicer yeah. it's like that shouldn't be anyone's ambition you, the ambition should be that you get work and awareness and visibility yeah. that leads to you being able to do what you do really well more um and some of the best emails still now are people that email through and go I just want to say thanks. You featured me on Tuesday. Um, I got commissioned on yeah, Thursday. Yeah. And it's like, never in a million years when we started this thing did we think that was going to be the case. And the fact that it, it does do that is is unbelievable. That's what Anyways does as well. I, I, I was thinking about Anyways the other day and it's kind of a matchmaking service, isn't it? You're putting creatives together with clients and you're in the middle like pulling this thing together. I mean, that's what I sort of got from 
you know, yeah. which is very much that same kind of thing, like bringing in different things and then making them work. I think that's when that's when the anyways work works at its best is being able to um, handle a project, so so manage a project, and um, crucially, I think, come up with the kind of the ideas and the direction it gives yeah. the brief, but then pull in the right people, be it illustrators, be it filmmakers, be it um, photographers, whatever it is to make that that um, uh, project great. It's about working with the best people in order to do it. I think those projects that we keep, I, I think we've just started to say no to those things that would just be internal, would yeah. require external help. Yeah. I think the the kind of the magic is when we get to work with those people and they yeah. get to bring those ideas alive. Um, you mentioned earlier about uh, Sir Paul Smith. Um, can you tell us about your connection with him and how that happened? So one of the... Um, one of the perks of running a publishing company that grows an audience is PRs just go for you. It's like, right. have you seen this? <laughs> have you seen this? And back in two thousand and uh, back in two thousand nine, we got an email from Design Museum's press team going, "Hey, there's this exhibition that launches, and if you want an interview with um, someone, someone, Paul Smith, someone, someone, someone." And uh, Alex replied to it and said, "Yeah, I'd I'd love to interview Paul Smith, please." Not really knowing what that meant and he got a reply back quite quickly going yep yeah, great be there at um, 10 38 <laughs> and you'll have your two minutes with right. Paul Smith Alex trundled on down to the design museum just after we'd done the first magazine and sat down with Paul and got chatting and basically had this couple of questions for his two minutes <laughs> and ended up spending 20 minutes with Paul and just through that kind of mutual interest and the magazine I think Tyler Brule coined that phrase about a magazine is the best business card. And it is. It still is the best thing. Mm. If you put a copy of a printed page in front of someone, they flick through it and they feel like they know what we do. Yeah. They go, yeah, okay, I get it. I get the kind of um, people that you feature and showcase. But um, Paul chatted to Alex for about 20 minutes, interested in what he does. Um, Alex had other questions and stuff. And then Paul ended that conversation by going, oh, you should come into the studio. Here's, here's my PA's details. Um, drop them an email and they'll organise a time. So Alex came back to the studio, was like, amazing, got 20 minutes with Paul, uh, he's really nice, and uh, he said we should go to the studio. And Alex then emailed his PA, and his, uh, his PA emailed back going, I think well, this must have been like April. He was like, yeah, Paul will see you for half an hour in October. <laughs> so, okay, went in the diary, got close to October, went in, saw Paul, and just, I think just very quickly... Um, there was that kind of mutual I don't want to say I don't want to kind of um, I think Paul who's now like 72 years old and and this has been so obviously integral into growing his business and he's so it's, it's amazing how involved he is on a day to day but I think he still thrives off meeting people talking to people mm. asking questions yeah. finding out seeing opinions and it's like his diary is back to back with meetings, both internal and external, some of the people that go through those doors. And just amazingly, we have we, we see him maybe four or five times a year and we'll go in for an hour. We take everyone that's joined us in the last 12 months goes for lunch at Christmas with him in his Amazing. studio. Amazing, wow. Awesome. And we've managed somehow to keep it kind of a, a secret where people aren't sure where we're going. It's just put in as a director's yeah. lunch. And then we turn up at Paul's, um, go upstairs and, and he puts on lunch and has a chat and, and rifles through wow. studio. Wow, <laughs> that's fantastic. But he's, he's brilliant and I think as a kind of, as, a, as an individual that is 
that has maintained a passion for what he mm. does, it's such a kind of reassurance that that's the... If I'm as infused yeah, in totally. what I do when I've been doing it for as long as he has, I think it would... I, yeah. And his eyes are still so open. Like the things he just picks up on, little details or things that... He gets sent an awful lot of amazing yeah. stuff as well, though, doesn't he? From all over the world. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. And we bearing in mind we've now probably been to that office for ten years. The amount of stuff you just get different layers that just <laughs> accumulates. And his um, his uh, PAs and secretaries joke that every time he goes on holiday for like three weeks in the summer, it's their opportunity to kind of take a load of stuff out. <laughs> but he's he's still. And when we're there. It will be, we'll get chatting about something and it'll be like, oh, you mean like this? And he'll lean over and he'll grab a book off the bookshelf and open it to the page and he'll go, hang on, give me a minute and he'll go and find something at the other end of the studio, bring it back and go, yeah, what about this? Or, and he'll be like, oh, this got sent the other week, have you seen this? And oh. it's like his, his ability to just pull that reference and identify the amazing. reference and go, here it is. It's, it is astounding. Oh, amazing. I mean, you've got, probably a decade's worth of content in that studio <laughs> those photographers and artists and, and everything. Wow. I definitely feel guilty. I have that moment, which I'm sure we all have, where you're chatting to someone and they go, oh, have you seen so-and-so? Or you mean like so-and-so? And, and it's a reference, like everyone should know who this person is. And you yeah. kind of go, um, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> the name rings a bell. Yeah. And it's like, I haven't got a clue. Yeah. And it's like, and now I feel much more comfortable in just going, no, don't know who you're talking yeah. about. Um, but it's, it is brilliant and I know people that actually request to go into his office when he's out of town because it's an opportunity they can just spend hours just going through and looking at stuff and, and bringing up reference wow so it's almost like a an unofficial kind of museum in some oh, respects or a rolling in, in museum in every way last time we were there at Christmas he had this amazing folder of um when you used to go and stay in hotels, they would give you almost like stickers but I think they you kind of had to wheat paste them on and they were the it was like hotel advertising that you'd then stick on your luggage and stuff. So you know when you see people with loads of sticks on their luggage? Yeah. These are like versions from early 1900s and just like beautiful typography and imagery and everything. You just had this whole folder of them. Oh, he'd, man. He'd found wow. or someone had sent him and it's like... It's, but there's lots of There's a box of matchboxes. Um, there's a box of sugar cubes. Um, there's wow. just all this visual stimulus. Wow. It's, it is unbelievable. Have you got the goosebumps again? I have, yeah. I literally have. <laughs> have you um, met many of your heroes um, and do you still get nervous around people you admire? I, I don't I don't know if this sounds facetious I'm not sure I have that many heroes and I don't know why I don't know what it is about um, I, for whatever reason it's the same thing as that like the references for why I got into doing what I'm doing I'm not sure I kind of I did buy into to that side of things I think all too often and it happened very early on where we'd managed to secure interviews with people and you'd say to a few people, I'm going down to interview so-and-so, and there'd be a sharp intake of breath, and they'd be like, oh, I've heard they're awkward. And you kind of go, oh, shit, uh, okay. Well, now I'm feeling a little bit different about this. <laughs> and we'd go in, and they'd be so accommodating, yeah. and they'd give you loads more time than they said you they would. And all too often, I think, um, I think either people kind of quite enjoy these personas yeah. that they have, yeah. And actually, they're just really nice people. Whether or not it's because you're coming from a kind of media publishing 
kind of to talk about them that they are on their best behaviour. I don't know. There's, there's, there's. Looking back, there's very few people that I go, well, they're an absolute dick. Yeah. It's like, no, it's like, <laughs> actually, and even now, right? It's giving people the opportunity to talk about themselves. Yeah. It's not a hard gig, no. right? For most no. people, it's like, okay, yeah, I'd love to talk about me for a bit. And I think we're always so pleasantly surprised by people. And actually, I think it's one of the things that I really want to push the team now is I think there's always that danger that you you get sidetracked a little bit by thinking people are unattainable. Absolutely. And actually I think all too often, as long as you as long as you're interested, engaged, have interesting questions, yeah. are kind of clued up with who they are, more often than not people are research goes an awful long way. Yeah. You mentioned it earlier as well, you mentioned um that you might reach out to most people because they're just normal everyday people, you know, and when you put someone on a pedestal, you will sometimes not approach somebody. So with the podcast and with the, the documentary I did a few years ago, we just emailed people. And like you say, everyone just came back and they were so lovely. They were happy to be a part of something. And that passion comes through as well. I think maybe it's a good thing in general for people to, to maybe take their heroes down a notch in their mind and then think about how they can maybe meet people or interact with people that they love rather than putting them in this unobtainable yeah. space. And I think, I, I don't know whether or not, um, or how much it's changed through things like Instagram, probably more so than something like Twitter, where those people's lives feel that much more accessible. That actually, they, them just kind of demonstrate they are just normal people, yeah. even if they're jet-setting around the world. It's like, you can get a sense of who these people are. Having said that, a good friend once came out with the best line, which I think is so true. And he said, don't you find the most interesting people are those that aren't on social media? And I thought about it when, yeah, you've got a point, actually. All those people that you don't hear anything yeah. from yeah. are probably living really interesting yeah. lives. And I used um, to think this, that the most busy people were the ones whose Instagram account isn't updated very often. Yeah. And so you know those people are really up to something amazing. We always said that about people who updated their own website every yeah. six months. Yeah. It was like... Have you not got any work? It's like, it's like, if that's the job that you're doing, and actually some of those great studios that haven't updated in years, yeah. it is that same thing yeah. where it's like, they're obviously just on it really. Their name just gets them the work, yeah. you know. Um, so I, I run a small design, design agency in Brighton, um, and since starting I've been really interested in the culture of the business, uh, like as, as much as the stuff that I'm producing. Do you think that's often um, equally important? as what you're actually making? Yeah, 100%. I think the, I think the culture is so... Um, it's such an interesting thing because I don't... I think all too often people think that they can kind of write an A4 on, right, this is the culture. And it's like, right, everyone now knows how to behave. And it's <laughs> like the culture is just the, is just the result of a load of people in four walls operating going about their work and I think everyone is in control or everyone influences that culture and I think we have it where we've had a few disruptive people or no let's start on the positive we've had some people that just have that ability to walk into a room and with a smile on their face and a, an air of positivity mm. and they can change a room within 60 seconds and be that with just a big kind of Hello, and don't get me wrong, sometimes that can be the most disruptive thing. And if I'm trying to get <laughs> and someone walks in and they're just like, hey, how's it going? This is great. I saw that, that was brilliant. 
In the same way, I think you can get the flip side of that, which is you can get some people that are just, for want of a better word, a bit poisonous. That mm. it's it it takes half the amount of time to walk into a room and it, it changes an atmosphere. I think you need. Um, I got told off recently for talking about the word ego, and the person I was talking to was like, "What? What do you mean?" It's like ego's great. Ego's a good thing. Everyone's got ego. It's just we always default to ego where it's all mm. self-centered. It's like you need to embrace those different characters and different people. I think as business owners, you're in control a little bit more as to what the physical studio, how that actually works. Um, but I think we found within the culture of, of the group is it's about giving people autonomy, responsibility. It's about being able to kind of mm. go, you're in control of this thing. It's like... Yeah, we're not involved in the day-to-day. -day it's nice that it's like, that's why we're bringing you in. Yeah. And I think, again, recently, um, there was a great conversation we had where with people's development plans and what they're working on, you always err on the things they need to improve. And never do you go, these are the things you're brilliant yeah. at. Keep doing yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. Like, how do we get you to do more of that? But I think it's, I'd be lying if I said over the course of running our business. So we've probably run it for 10 years properly as a business, of which maybe... Seven of seven or eight of those have been with other people, and I think as directors and owners of the business, you can influence it massively. Yeah. But you've got we just find you've got to empower those yeah, people that they take that responsibility, um, and that you you kind of celebrate that and go here it is. I think we I, I I do think at the moment we're in a particularly great place with the team we've got, and I think we've we've got better through learning through our mistakes that when looking for certain things. So we now have um, a, a second interview. Uh, if you get back for a second interview, you'll do your main interview, which is about the job, are you fit for purpose of the job? And then we do a values interview where we'll get two of the people from the studio that have got nothing to do with your daily interaction should you come in, but that they just chat to you. And it's just a sense check to go Amazing. actually against yeah. our values. Um, do they feel like a right fit? Is this someone that mm. you'd have lunch with? Yeah. Um, in what we have is quite a communal studio where a lot of people sit down and have lunch together. And if and it just gives people, it just adds a layer. And I'm not sure in the year, two years that we've had this, whether or not it's happened where people have gone, this is a red line. Yeah. And it's been a kind of, the hiring team feel that they're, they're right and the values um, interview think that they're a bit of a danger. I think usually the two marry up. Yeah, but it does just add that kind of layer to go. Let's just get some some other opinion where it's not about the kind of cliched interview where you're trying to talk yourself for the job. It's yeah. actually like, who are you? What yeah. are you about? Yeah, totally. Um, there's a great question in it that we ask, which is, if you had a day off, how would you like? If you got Amazing. tomorrow off, That's very how would good. you spend it? Yeah, very and actually, good. it just says so much about someone's interests, passions, how they spend their time. Um, and you can find stuff out. And actually, sometimes in the more cliched interview, I think people be a little bit more guarded in that to want to say the right thing. Yeah, um, that idea of that a meeting with two people that aren't even going to be in their sort of sphere of work, just a, it's a spider sense kind of thing, isn't it? Really, yeah. I really like that. But that's been through years of trying to get it right. Yeah, like we've we've rushed hiring. We've made bad calls we've but that's I do think that's why we're where we are now it's part of everything you've talked about today is you evolve ideas rather than stick with something like since the beginning it's been about evolving yeah. with the times so um, Dan and I are close friends and we work together on no ideas 
from years of working with Alex, do you have any advice on how to maintain a balance between friendship and work? Uh, wow, what a question. <laughs> um, I think the fascinating thing with the relationship I have with Alex is at uni, it was best mates, going out all the time, we lived together for two years, and then as we moved to London and then started working together, our kind of, our friendship has changed massively. So we do not see each other at the weekends. It's like, I see loads of you during the week yeah. and that's the relationship. So it's kind of like, I wouldn't say we've sacrificed a friendship for our working relationship. I just think quite naturally as two people, yeah. we've gone, I get to chat to you about all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Um, and not just work stuff during the week, but I kind of need that not to be part yeah. of my life um, at the weekend. I think the thing that Alex and I have always had um, is just, and maybe it's come through starting out as friends first, is just a complete honesty. Yeah. I think there's nothing that we uh, that we hide and that we, we always just front conversations when they need to happen. We always said that with any disagreements, so I'm not sure in the 10 years that I've worked with Alex, Monday to Friday, full time, we've ever had a, a, a row. We've never kind of just someone's walked out and gone, oh, this is ridiculous. <laughs> we've always, I think we've always just been quite rational people. We always yeah. said that whenever we did have a disagreement, it gets to a point where one of us would back down because it was like, oh shit, this means loads more to that person yeah. than me. So yeah. I'll let you have this one. And I think we both come from a similar kind of, um, uh, we both come from a similar desire that it should be the best thing. Absolutely. And, and we've definitely both got different skill sets. We've definitely both got different personality traits. But I think we we just mesh very well in where we're trying to go. And, and long may that continue because I think all too often you hear of kind of um, uh, kind of breakdown in relationships yeah. being that similar thing. And when we started, I think we were both coming from a very similar place, both having relatively similar backgrounds, um, both kind of similar interests, then this desire to, to grow this business. I started a family five, six years ago. He's just had his first little um, girl. But I'd, I'd, our external lives definitely changed. I think there's always a danger that that might impact that relationship, like where we saw an importance or where we needed to be and things like that. And we've kind of, I moved out of London to live down down in Brighton. And I think the, the, there's been enough stuff to kind of go, maybe this will rock the boat a bit, but actually we just kind of go, right, are we doing what we both need to be doing? Are we both, yeah. have, got, have we got responsibilities that we're both pulling our weight? I think we would both kind of call each other out on um, on it if we, we thought that wasn't the case. Um, but I feel I feel incredibly grateful both for um, Alex being my business partner, Dem being my life partner, is yeah. that the right word? <laughs> um, that they, they both offer that kind of um, stability and support. And I think you have to, I've definitely found that having both of those things in place has just made getting on and doing the job very easy. Yeah, it's um, a strong foundation. Yeah, and I, I definitely think Dem probably doesn't get the um, uh, the recognition for actually kind of, uh, for want of a better word, letting me get on and do what I want to do. It's that I haven't had to kind of deal with that, like either justifying or fighting for kind of like, oh, this is what I really want to do. It's just, it's there's always been that support. Same with my partner, actually, Amy, who doesn't listen to the podcast at all. But <laughs> she is almost like the stable one alongside my chaos. And she's really, <laughs> the reason why I've been able to do the things that I've wanted to do in life is because she's 
like provided like a really sort of stable, emotionally stable, and you know the geography of our family stable world. And like again, like she, I don't tell her enough. Maybe this won't make the podcast. But um, <laughs> what you're going to leave my bit in? Well, I didn't want to take the take the shine off something you said that's all, absolutely beautiful. All, but I do think it's not something that you. I, I definitely don't feel like I hear loads of that where people. It, it usually tends to just be about the work. Yeah. And actually, the idea that um, home life is as kind of stable and supportive as it is is, yeah, is, is, is huge. I work with my partner. How? So I mean, how? Well, it's, it's, we're both completely different. I do the design stuff, and she's sort of doing all the business side of stuff. So is that, that since you set up Sea Creatures? Yeah. What was that? Yeah. I, w- I was running it on my own for like two years before, um, and then it needed to kind of grow. I do think it's it's all too often I, I'm into that idea of like whatever works. Yeah. And it's like if you found that that works, I think that's absolutely yeah. amazing. I th- I think the I can't imagine ever running a business with them. I can imagine tackling like a big project, like if we were to build a house, or um, I guess build a house is the kind of main one at the moment. But it's like I'd love to do that with them, and I think we'd get a similar dynamic where it'd be fighting for kind of reference and how we should use the space and. And all that stuff, but with, that we both end up getting to that kind of shared um, mm. endpoint. But yeah, I I do admire people that, that work with partners, and I'm fascinated in that dynamic. Because yeah. like, do you have a point where it's like work is during work, and you leave work chat really. at home? <laughs> we do chat at home, <laughs> um, but we both um, we both kind of do the the travelling for work as well. So okay. we know all the customers. It's a really nice like really nice dynamic. Yeah. Great. Yeah. But we're both very different. <laughs> I'm um, definitely, I, I want to draw all the time. That's the, well, that's, that's not, the sweet spot you get to. The admin. You've got, you've got, well, that's true. Yeah, we were just going to ask you, um, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Best piece of advice? Uh, I th- there was Alex for his tw- 18th birthday. Well, 21st birthday, his uncle wrote 10th piece of advice down. And there's one on there that we, we went back to quite a lot, which was this idea of things are never as good or as bad as they seem. And it's, I do think there's that balance, that kind of like, enjoy the good times. I'm not saying don't enjoy the good times, <laughs> kind of enjoy them. But also when things seem to be like bad... It's like they're not as bad as they are. And actually with time and space mm. and, and dealing with stuff, everything works out. And in the years that we've been doing what we're doing, we've had some horrendous kind of moments where it's been like, shit, what are we doing kind of with a specific um, something that's gone wrong and we'll always deal with it. And actually when you look back on them, you kind of go, yeah, that was that was pretty nuts, but <laughs> it's that it really wasn't that big, was it? It's I think that remembering that... Um, when you're in the moment things can seem like yeah yeah the absolute the, the world is falling in and actually all too often it's fine i think on that to talk to people to just get some external perspective external advice i think we've been very lucky that a number of times where things have seemed to be kind of going south we've managed to kind of go actually no we just need to do this or we need to go about it in that way i think the the piece of advice that I th- that I kind of default to, and actually with the people that I manage directly, is just back yourself. I think all too often, 
people overthink or over kind of they 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 lack the confidence when it's needed. And mm. actually all too often you found yourself in a position of responsibility or needing to deliver something and all the rest. And actually I think to just back yourself, to yeah. just go, I'm here, I've been given this opportunity or I'm in this place, I just need to go for it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I do think I think that is true for everyone. I think sometimes it's the thing that I have to remind myself. Like I can't <laughs> always be saying that to other people and then not at moments where it needs a decision to go, no, I need to back myself here. Let's so sometimes you get an opportunity and you should really just take that. Because so, I've had it before where I've been offered sort of work or something. I'm like, can I actually do that? And you think you can either try, do everything you can to learn this, or the alternative is to not do it at all. And that's not really an alternative at all, really. Yeah. And I think when you do back yourself and put yourself in, in circumstances that you either have to step up or behave a bit differently or think about stuff more often than not good stuff will come from it even mm. if it all goes tits up it's like you you end up going okay I, i've learned from that i now know how i do it or you go back myself didn't work out never want to do that again at least, at least you've kind <laughs> yeah, of answered you it, you it. Don't like, do it again. Right, I'm, I'm off that, that bit so we've got one last semi silly question and then we normally do our quick fire question cool so this last question is, if you were to have a, sag, a sabbatical like Sagmeister or went into temporary top retirement like Daniel Day-Lewis when he became a shoemaker, what would you do away from the world of media and graphic design? Are we assuming that financially there's not a kind of, there's not a commitment to making... It's your money. dream space that you'd go to that wasn't anything to do with the world <laughs> that you... you came. So I think... Weirdly, I've probably given this some thought, not because that is kind of on the horizon at all. I do think that if I was to do anything else, I would have to leave creative industry totally for a short amount of time. I can't imagine working in it, having worked in it so closely. And I think I would veer towards the kind of coaching sport. I would love to Amazing. go and coach a rugby team of like a, a kind of decent age group, but not, so like a, a sixth form team where you can kind of get enough out of young people and, and achieve something and work towards something um, there's definitely connections with what you're doing now like that transferable team building and yeah, yeah. I'd like to think so I think that I, I do I do enjoy those circumstances the other thing that if Dem does ever listen to this which she will just rip it out of me <laughs> is I do love the idea of working on a farm Having a farm, yeah. but she will she will be the first to point out that that doesn't mean getting up and doing shit jobs in the middle of winter. So yeah. I have a farm manager, but yeah. I might yeah. run a farm. But I like the idea that you'd be able to do, I think what David Hyatt's done and Claire Hyatt yeah. with Do Lectures, yeah. where you, you have some land and you go, right, we're going to do a bit of this. I'd love to kind of, with that open space, kind of... Um, I'm probably guilty of like starting a lot of things. <laughs> so starting a kind of either... Um, small brewery or maybe go more down the kind of cider oh, making very nice. thing or I, I kind of just go right I've got this big space what could I do what could I kind of have some fun with um, but yeah I would I'd quite happily <laughs> quite happily that sounds far too easy to say <laughs> I would I would I think for a, for a short period of time I think I'd relish the idea of, of not working in the creative industry to then come back at it with fresh eyes yeah. and perspective must be tough I mean, there's so much that you have to focus on in a business sense and then through your doors in, in the various companies, so much different amazing stuff globally comes through. I bet no one can keep up with it, really. Well, I'm, I'm lucky because I think in the role that I've... I have this awful job title, which 
was more put on me than I came up with. And my, technically, my job description within the Hudson Beck Group is innovation director. And as I've tried to kind of explain when this has come up, it's like it's more about identifying new stuff that we can be doing, how that might work, and then kind of getting it off the ground. I'm very much a starter than a maintainer. Yeah. I think what we've been lucky in that we've got some absolutely phenomenal maintainers who are super talented, who know what the job is to do. They come in and they do that job really well. That's not to say they don't push it and they don't drive it forward. They very much do. But I'm much more interested in that thing of going, I think there's something within creative education. Could we do something? What would that yeah. look like? And, and and being afforded the time to actually look into it with Alex doing much more a managing director role. And I think his ambition is to move from a managing director role up to a kind of CEO role and have an, an MD um, within the group. Um it is that like, and I've always done it. I've always been someone that's gone, let's start this. Let's do something yeah, here. Let's give too. it a go. It's then just making sure you've got the support in someone to be able to go. And I'll now look after it and I'll keep it going and we'll push it forward. Mm. But something like the jobs board as well at the moment, if you could, it's like such an opportunity there. We we spent a huge amount of time on it last year and we, we're just about to do the same now. So it is, it's just like, I feel lucky that my job is about where can we improve something or push something or start something um, and that's what we, I've managed to end up doing so actually I don't kind of get kind of um, uh, how you were referring to it which is like all this stuff coming yeah. in it's like that actually now kind of gets diverted elsewhere yeah. and I get to do what I want to do Amazing. which is as I said to you earlier the danger is that I send stuff through to the it's nice like team going have you seen this I think, <laughs> I think this would be great to cover and they go we wrote about it two days ago <laughs> so um, now you're like bashful <laughs> send, you're bashful sending hor- stuff over cross-referencing it everywhere <laughs> my, my, um, my metaphor has always been explorers and cartographers so I, I think that you've got explorers like to rock up somewhere and go well I found it uh, you guys come over here and you have a look around you make sure that everyone knows where everything is somewhere else to look yeah at. and and I think that that's that's the way I always put things together and normally like I think explorers can be kind of flippant they can arrive in a place they can say this is brilliant everyone else like get to work kind of thing and I definitely fall foul onto that side of things although I end up because they're often quite small ideas embroiled in that other side of it and they get lost in like trying to make something happen but I think if you know that that's who you are I think the, the difficulty is when you kind of you do the explore a bit and then you go I've now got to go and do some of the other bit <laughs> yeah. and actually go I'm just I'm not I'm not being uh, efficient it's yeah. not a good use of my time yeah. I'm getting bored and frustrated yeah. and I think where Alex and I in our businesses have been the worst bits have been where we've seeped into doing the other person's job both ways and then we've kind of gone this is stupid what are we doing it's like you're really good at this bit get on and do that yeah. Bit. Yeah, yeah. I'll take this bit and then it all seems to work. Amazing. Like the cogs in that machine work that bit smoother. Um, but it's about recognising that skill set. And obviously there are some times that you have to jump in and do something that you don't really want yeah. to do. But actually to go, this is what I'm good at. Let's go and do that. So now we're on to the bit that everyone looks forward to, the quick fire questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, How many are there? There are uh, about six. Okay. And they, you know, just fire them out. Back yourself. Uh, <laughs> um, so the first question is, uh, what's the nicest thing you've ever seen? Wow. <laughs> um, the nicest thing. It, I mean, it, it can't be work, right? It's just got to be family. Just that it's thing that maybe just made that. you like... I think, yeah. I, think the, I think when we had our first boy... I think there was definitely an element of like, oh shit, this is this is something else. It's yeah. like I think it gets talked about. 
but never really articulated and I think that's what's so magical about it is it is just this thing of like okay shit this is something's just happened and yeah slightly different and you wait like all that time and then you meet someone for the first time having like sort of known loads of stuff about them but not yeah I mean, and then they do nothing for two years um, so we're excited about the next one because we, you've already told us you've got a good answer for oh, it. Oh, yes. Um, so, uh, which idea do you wish you'd thought of? Right. So, full disclaimer, you did send these through 24 hours ago. <laughs> and this is the one that really did, or certainly this question, not the, not the first one. I think um, my answer to this is we transfer. So, wow, the file okay. sharing service, right? Because, similar time to us, I think 2009 it started. And I think the thing that I admire about that and go yeah that that is a great idea is it's super simple they've stuck to their guns it's like i listened to a podcast with damien um uh, who i think is I, I can't remember his title now i think it's president based out in the la office and he talked about like when they were selling the advertising everyone was like we'll just put loads of ad units and they said no it's just one it's one big banner ad they give 30 percent of their inventory to the creative industry to help promote work it's just super simple. You don't need to register for it. You can just send a file. You can just do what you do. And they've stuck to their guns in all that time. I think even their lean data, um, like what they actually store, and they could store a load more, but they go, no, we don't need it. So like, we don't need it, so therefore we won't collect it. We won't use it. And I do think that as a... Because when thinking about this question, I was like, well, do I go to something that's either made tons of money or is it huge awareness and reach? Is it like, what is the thing? And actually thinking about it for probably 12 hours. I just got something which felt close to home. It is a great idea. They yeah. went and did it. The, the, there is competition, but they've carved out where they sit Absolutely. within that. And I do look at it and go, yeah, actually, do you know what? It's a great product and service. It always works. It's reliable. Yeah. There is that kind of investment and support the creative industry. It's. I do think that is a great, mm, great It's a great idea. answer. And, and I love companies where they do one thing well and then they don't feel the need to like evolve and get ridiculous. Yeah. Um, like, oh yeah. Um, and it's awful when a company that does one thing well all of a sudden starts adding bits in, like yeah. with the Instagram, so all those stories is great, but initially some of the things they change really irked people. Because yeah. you like the familiarity that it does one thing, it does it really well. Um, if you could collaborate with anyone, who would it be? That's a great question. So we ran an exhibition called If You Could Collaborate. Yeah, that was, that's where the... Uh, it's, it's in caps here because it's, <laughs> it's a callback to those days. I think, the, I think the, the opportunity would be with someone totally different. I, don't, I think you'd have to have that totally different skill set too or experience. So I think almost weirdly, it's like Anthony Burrell, I think, collaborated with an astronomer. Yeah. For that, so, and it's like, great, yeah. you know your place. Mm. Who would I collaborate if I could collaborate with anyone? I really don't know. What am I making? <laughs> so many questions. <laughs> I think. I don't know. There doesn't have to be a, a solid answer. I like the fact that you said, What am I making? You went to the core of the question, yeah. the absolute root That's of what it. I, want. I think probably, a, probably either an architect to build a house, mm. I think, and. Again, I don't, my knowledge and, and name reference for architects probably isn't as good as it could be. But I think, um, yeah, probably an architect and Dem to actually build that dream home. Amazing. 
If you could have dinner with anyone, living or dead, who would you choose and what would you cook? Just one person. It could be one or it could be one a handful. That would be quite an awkward one. Yeah. <laughs> like, what am I doing here? I picked you in a... Uh, <laughs> yeah, a bit creepy. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't... I, and similarly, I don't, I, don't, I don't get excited about those kind of quite traditional references yeah. of like... Um, who does everyone go to? Like Martin Luther King. Yeah. Um, I, I don't default to those. I think the prospect of having dinner with people like... Peter Crouch, I think he'd be quite entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> I think, weirdly, I thought of this recently. Richard Madeley, I reckon, would be quite good fun. Um, I think not Sarah Pasco. Not Judy. Not, well, I think, no, <laughs> yes, Judy. Judy um, Sarah Pascoe, the comedian, I think is very funny. I think would be good fun. Um, I think I kind of I think I default to that tier of people that I think are quite accessible with quite good entertainment. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd love to see that yeah. Peter Crouch, <laughs> Richard, and Judy. <laughs> Um, who else? Yeah, maybe. I mean, there's, there's, that is, there's something in that, isn't there, to try and, if, if people could almost, uh, a service. Yeah. You go, right. You know, <laughs> everyone's watching the fire documentary. Yeah, yeah, moment, yeah. And weirdly, the product that they were building before that festival of booking talent, yeah. actually, the idea that you could, I'm sure Pete Crash would be up for a few, three dinners. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, that's like, Build like a UK version with, like, Richard and Judy. <laughs> <Yeah>, exactly. <laughs> Uh, um, so this is a oh, hold on one sec on. sorry what would you cook oh yeah sorry so I'm a big fan of um, how you best kind of what the role of a dinner party like that is and especially if you're cooking because if it's and maybe this is dangerous for people that might listen to this who I might <laughs> future have dinner with there's very clear rules of this which is if you want to spend time with the people all the prep beforehand so like a slow beef chilli that you're literally just bringing to the table, here we go, because then you can spend time with them when they get yeah. there. If it's people you don't really want to spend time with, some of them super <laughs> like, I need to be in the kitchen, I'm in the kitchen, I'm busy leaving me um, It's the same as we worked out while at uni that sushi was the best first date um, destination. Because if it's going really well, you can stay in a sushi restaurant for ages, there's stuff to talk about. If it's not going well, two dishes, I'm full. <laughs> I've ordered three courses here but I think um, I'm a very kind of yeah staple of like a, a good pie yeah a, oh yeah it can't like be that. a good, good pie brilliant um, so the next question is a, a feature that um, used to be in printed pages what is the ugliest thing that you love <laughs> <laughs> um, my middle child no 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 <laughs> um, what is the ugliest thing I love what a great question. So you're sat currently, the, the cushions that are behind you, these were um, hand embroidered by my gran, who's no longer with us. And when she died, my dad said, um, there's a load of stuff at Grand's. If, and she lived just up the road from us at home. And uh, he said, look, Grand's place up there. If there's anything you want, go up and, and, and get it. And unbeknown to me Dem had already been up and she picked these cushions <laughs> and I think they're absolutely hideous <laughs> but they're grands and they're um, yeah they're, there is something about them that I love but to look at I go what are they <laughs> she also along with the cushions my gran had had made a um, like tea tray drinks trolley yeah but my gran was six foot tall 
So it was quite big. So it is like a kind of reverse of a minion. <laughs> she got it, unfortunately, then managed to offload it to her sister, who currently uses it um, as like a drinks trolley. But I fear that one day that's going to be back, and I, I don't like that. I don't know what that says about my grand's taste. Um, but yeah, those Do you mind if we get a picture of those? Of course. Amazing. Of course. <laughs> um, what is your go-to karaoke song? You sent this, I haven't thought about it well <laughs> enough. So, um, Roxanne okay, nice. is always quite a good kind of belt it out. Um, what else? Vanilla Rice. Oh, nice. nice. Yeah, solid, um, solid choices. <laughs> best thing about karaoke that I find is unplanned karaoke. Yeah. Is the best. You can never yeah. know you're going to go and do karaoke. So, oh, okay. for Alex's stag do, we did karaoke, but I managed to book it and not tell anyone. Amazing. So at 11 o'clock, we, I got to go, let's go and do karaoke. And everyone's like, oh, you won't get anywhere. It's like, okay, let's just try. Amazing. <laughs> so then we have our very last question, which is, can art save the world? Um, yes, I think it can. I think, I think in the collaboration question, I think as long as it collaborates with stuff, I think the kind of art for art's sake and, and all the rest, it, it, I think it... I think it has such an opportunity to do so as well. I think maybe by art, I kind of include kind of design, yeah. um, communication. And I think increasingly it's probably going to have to. I think there are a number of instances, um, not even political necessarily, I think things like um, the environment. I, I actually think kind of art and design and communication is probably the thing that, if anything's going to save it, it will yeah. probably be art and design. I think. I listened to something when the latest um, uh, analysis and report came out from scientists and the media went to the scientists and kind of said, well, what are you going to do? And their response was like, it's not for us to do anything. Like, it, it's not on us to do stuff. All we're doing is working out what's going on. It's up to other people to take this now and mm. use it to kind of to, to force change and make change. And actually, the role of scientists, all they can do is go this is what's happening and we can make you aware of that, but it's going to rely on other people to take that and, and, and force change. And when you look at all of those um, different sectors, who is better placed than design, communication, to convey a message and, and force action? I think as a result, it probably has to, um, to save the world. Thanks very Bang. much for being on Bang. the show. Yeah, Thanks thank for you. being on the show. <laughs> Pleasure. Thanks for asking me. Thanks to Tomino for the theme music, for Bison Beer for sponsoring this episode, our families for supporting us on this journey, and most importantly, you, the listeners, for tuning in and following our ventures with no ideas. Follow us on Instagram and like and subscribe on iTunes and leave us a comment if you can, but only nice ones. Check out our website, noideaspodcast.co.uk for the extra bits to accompany the shows. We'll be back next month with more ideas. Ideas.